Well, today the scriptures bring us to John's main goal in writing this letter. As he stated in 1 John 5.13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Not I think so. right? Not I hope so. Not I, I don't know for sure. But he wrote so that we could say, I know I have eternal life. The first verse in our passage today in 1 John 3.19 says, By this we shall know we are in the truth and reassure our hearts before him. And the last verse in our passage today in 1 John 3.24 says, By this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he's given to us. Twice in our passage it says, we know. Can you know if you have eternal life? Yes, you can know. But before we jump into our passage today, I want to take a look at one of the foundational questions that's underneath our passage today. Focusing on this question first, I think, will help us to better focus on the truth of this passage. The question is, how long is eternal life? Once you're given eternal life, can it somehow be less than eternal? Once you're given eternal life, can it be lost? I like asking the question this way. Is eternal life really eternal? The doctrine I'm talking about is called the perseverance of the saints, or more commonly called nowadays, eternal security. The Westminster Catechism defines the perseverance of the saints as they whom God hath accepted in his beloved, effectually called and sanctified by his spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. If you're accepted in his beloved, if you're called and sanctified by his spirit, you will certainly be eternally saved, even if you fall away, because you cannot fall out of God's grace. Louis Burkhoff and his theology defined it like this. He says that continuous operation of the Holy Spirit in the believer by which the work of divine grace that is begun in the heart is continued and brought to completion. The action and the perseverance is not the saint holding on to the end, but the grace of God and the work of the Holy Spirit completing the Christian to the very end. See, God is the one who's doing the work. We are saved by grace. We are kept by grace. We persevere by grace. We will come to completion by grace. It's not us holding on to God, but God holding on to us. So you're walking your five-year-old across a busy street. Is it their grip in your hand that's keeping them safe? Or is it your grip on their hand that's keeping them safe? See, God our Father grips His children's hand and He leads them and protects them. It's only because of God's work in us that we continue, that we persevere in our faith to the end. It's all from beginning to end, only because of Jesus and through Jesus that we are saved. 
the reason we can be sure, the reason we can have full confidence in our eternal destination is because of God. Because God saved us and God continues to save us. It's all about Him. It's not about you or me. So let's look at some passages that clearly teach this truth of the perseverance of the saints, of eternal security. And we will plainly see that the whole Godhead, the whole Trinity, is at work in securing our salvation and causing us to persevere in a faith throughout our lives. The classic passage that so boldly teach the security of the believers in John chapter 10, verses 27 through 30. It says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. That is two-fisted security. Jesus said in John 5:24, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Jesus said in John 6, 37-40, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. First Peter 1, 3-5 through Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Ephesians 1.4 says that God has chosen us in him before the foundations of the world. And in Ephesians 1.13-14 it says, In Jesus you also when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The Bible clearly teaches that all of us who are genuinely have come to faith, come to Jesus for salvation, are saved forever. The Bible clearly teaches that the whole Trinity is involved in securing our eternal destiny. He who began a good work in you will complete it. The reason for the assurance of our salvation has nothing to do with anything that we have done. And everything to do with all that Jesus has done. It is God who is saving us. Not us. Jesus did the work. Jesus provided all the grace. Jesus redeemed us. Jesus bought us out of the slave market of sin. God the Father chose us. God the Son redeemed us. God the Spirit seals us. From the very first moment of our salvation to our last breath on earth, our salvation is totally 
the work of God in our lives. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting, eternal life. So if God has given us something that's eternal, how long does that last? It's a pretty simple answer, isn't it? See, folks, you can't lose what you can't earn. You can't stop what you didn't begin. You can't end what you didn't start. You can't keep what's only been given to you. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Or better yet, blessed assurance, I am Jesus's. Eternal life can only be one thing. Eternal. So that brings us to our passage today. If, you, if your Bibles aren't open there, please turn to 1 John chapter 3. And starting at verse 19. 1 John 3, 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if your heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment. That we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God, and God in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given to us. Father, we pray now, just very simply, so thankful that You are greater than our hearts. And that you, Lord, will assure us on this day, clearly from your spirit to our spirit, that we're in your family. And Lord, if that assurance isn't there today, that we'll do something about it. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we're going to look at five C's. The first is the condemnation we endure. Don't you love the tenderness of the Bible, the honesty of the Bible. The Bible couldn't be any clearer on the reality of salvation as a free gift of eternal life given by God through His Son, sealed and sustained by the Holy Spirit. And yet the reality in our lives is that sometimes our hearts condemn us. Sometimes genuine believers doubt. Look there at verse 20. It doesn't say, if ever our hearts condemn us. It says, but whenever our hearts condemn us. You see, our hearts are sensitive. Our hearts are vulnerable. Our hearts are complex. Jeremiah in 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? See, sometimes when we look inside ourselves, sometimes in those moments of 
self-reflective evaluation, when all the pretense is broken away, we can just see with clarity into our own hearts and it's not a pretty picture. We can see the brazen reality of the sin of our hearts. We look and we see we're not really very self-sacrificing, are we? We're more self-centered than self-sacrificing. We realize that we don't really love as Christ loved us, but instead often we love only to get love for ourselves. We can see that we're not obedient as we ought to be or even as we could be. Instead, what do we see often when we look into our hearts? We cling to sin. We hold on to fears. We refuse to let go of our anger or bitterness. We wallow in self-pity or addiction. Sometimes we look in our hearts and we say, Oh, my heart is deceitful and wicked. My heart is sick. My heart is prone to wander. Prone to leave the God who loves me. Doubt invades. Doubt from our hearts and even doubts from Satan, who in Revelation 12.10 is called the accuser of the brethren, of, the, of Christians. We can start rehearsing lies. God doesn't want me. God can't forgive me. Look at what I've done. If, if God rightly judges me, I'm done for. If I was a real believer, I wouldn't have done that. If I was a true Christian, I would stop doing that. If I was a genuine follower of Christ, I would start doing that. And our hearts condemn us. So what do we do with those doubts? What do you do when you're feeling uncertain about your faith? The first thing to do is to doubt your doubts. Is to be uncertain about your uncertainties. Our hearts cannot be trusted. Our doubts cannot be trusted. Our feelings are not a genuine guide for us. When our hearts condemn us, it's usually because we've taken our eyes off of God and put them on ourselves. One commentator said, self-condemnation can be due to a number of factors. It can be a matter of disposition. Some people are just more introspective and melancholy than others. It can be a question of health. How a person feels inevitably affects how he thinks. It may be due to a specific sin. It may be due to a difficult circumstance. But whatever the cause, the problem is a real one and widespread. How is a believer to deal with such doubt? John answers that question for us with the following four truths. The first is the character we rely upon. One of the great challenges of our condemning hearts is that it is self-focused. It becomes a greater issue than it actually is. Our hearts can be like a, a mosquito flying around, you know, when we're trying to get some sleep. It's really not that important. It's not that big a deal. But it's hard to stop worrying about the mosquito. All of a sudden, this tiny mosquito is ruining your night's sleep. All of a sudden, your doubting heart is ruining your day, your week, your life. 
the first truth to put our doubts in their place is to take our eyes off of ourselves and onto God. As verse 20 says, whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. He knows everything. God is greater than our hearts. He knows everything. He knows you are weak. He knows some of your ill-gotten motives. He knows how you fall short. He knows your heart. He understands our limitations. He sees all of our sin. All of it. He looks at us with complete clarity, with 100% accuracy. And what does he say? What's his response to his children? What does he say? He says, I love you. I don't condemn you. I accept you. Not because of you, but because of my son and all that he did for you. Because through him, you become part of my family. You're my son. You're my daughter. I love you. The prodigal son had a condemning heart. Look at how I wasted my life. Look at how I got used by my so-called friends. Look at how I lost my whole inheritance. Look at how I lost everything, my dignity, my hope, my future. Here I am starving, friendless, feeding pigs, longing to eat as good as the pigs. No one cares for me. I don't blame them. My father will never take me back. I've hurt him so badly. I was so selfish. I was so mean. But maybe out of his love, just maybe, he'll show pity on me and he'll let me be a servant. Maybe he'll show pity on me and he'll let me eat what the servants eat. He prepares his speech begging for his father just to give them the bare minimum. All he can see is his failure. All he can see is his loss. I am not worthy to be called your son. Now we know what happens, right? We know what happens in this story, right? The father's love is greater than the son's condemning heart. The father's love is greater than the son's condemning heart. The father is waiting, anticipating when the son will return. He's watching, ready to spring into action. When he sees his son a long way off, he runs to him, he embraces him, he kisses him. The son starts into his prepared speech. The father says, I have none of that. He interrupts his son and commands his servants to bring the best robe, to put it on his son, to bring a ring of authority, of family, of acceptance, and to put it on his finger, to bring shoes for his feet. Then he commands there will be a party to be held to celebrate for this son of mine was lost and is now found. Folks, can't you see it? God is greater than our hearts. God loves us. His children, far greater than our condemning heart. The first thing to realize when we're struggling with the assurances of our salvation is that God is greater than our hearts. Just these few thoughts from Romans chapter 8. God looks at us and says, There is therefore now no condemnation for you, for you're in Christ Jesus. God looks at us and says, if I am for you, who can stand against you? Even you can't stand against you. God looks at us and says, I did not spare my own son for you. Do you really think 
anything you do can separate my love from you? God looks at us and says, no. Nothing in all of creation, nothing is able to separate my love for you in Christ Jesus. What a powerful, comforting truth that God knows us. All about us. He knows our heart. And our God is greater than our heart. The next truth that helps us deal with our doubting heart is the confidence we discover. Once we take our eyes off our condemning hearts and onto the superlative greatness of our God, a heart that was once filled with doubt and uncertainty is now being filled with confidence. Once we start to realize that our acceptance with God is not based on our effort, but based on Christ's atoning cross, on His amazing grace, on His inseparable love, our hearts turn from condemnation to confidence. Makes you think of a passage in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because of Jesus, our great high priest, who knows us, who understands us, who sees our heart and yet sympathizes with our weaknesses, who was sinless, yet forgives the sinner. Once we have a fuller, deeper understanding of all that Jesus did for us, we can actually go before Him in confidence. Not because of us. Not in us. It has nothing to do with us. We can draw before the throne of grace with confidence. Because of Jesus and what He did. And we can find the grace and the mercy And the help that we need. The confidence we discover is Jesus. And as we love Him, as we follow His commands, as we we do what pleases Him, as Psalm 37.4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. As His priorities become our priorities, as His delights become my delights, as what pleases Him becomes what pleases me, as my desires will be His desires, as my hope will be His will. My prayer then becomes, Thy will be done. The desires of my heart will be for God's glory, for God's message, for God's mission. Do you want to see prayer after prayer after prayer answered in your life? Then seek God's will to be done through you. His goal to be accomplished through you. His priorities to rule your life. His good to be realized. His glory, His message, His mission. Our hearts will stop condemning us when our doubts are turned into confidence, our certainty turned into His truth, and our prayers turned into His will be done. The next truth that overcomes our condemning hearts is the command we obey. Look at verse 23. It's, it's one command in two parts. And this is His commandment. That we believe in the name of His Son, 
Jesus Christ and love one another, just as he commanded us. The most surefire way to overcome a condemning heart is to follow his commandments. And as is the consistent and constant message of the Bible, the very first command for anyone to obey is to believe. No other commandment that you ever follow is worth anything if you don't do the first commandment first. There's a very specific order. Jesus said in, in John 6:29, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. And again in John 17:3, he said, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Folks, being comes before doing. Believing comes before behaving. Accepting Him before actions for Him. Faith first, then and only then, can the deeds of our lives be done out of a heart of gratitude and worship. If you don't have assurance of your salvation, one of the very first One of the most practical things to do is to evaluate. Have I really put my trust in Jesus? Or am I trying to earn his favor? Am I resting in the fact that his salvation is only through by grace through faith? That it can't be earned? That it can only be given and received? Or am I trying to earn it? You see, we are to believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. That means that you believe in the true identity of Jesus. He is the Son. He is God. He is the only one. Believing the name also means you believe in the person, both who He is and what He has done. His name represents His character. His name represents His power. His name represents His actions. His name represents all who He is and all that He has done. See, believing in the name of Jesus is not simply something cerebral. Believing in the name of Jesus is not something we just do with our thinking. It's not saying, well, I choose Jesus out of all these other options. See, believing in Jesus is not some transaction. Well, now that I have heaven taken care of, I can go on with the rest of my life. No, believing in Jesus is a transformation. Now that I have heaven taken care of, now I can spend the rest of my life living in gratitude and worship and service to Jesus. A true trust in Jesus will necessitate in actions that show that we trust Him. Our dependency, our trust brings transformation. Think and evaluate. Do you have a transformational relationship with Jesus? Is following Jesus more than just a choice you made so many years ago? Or is it right now a reality in your life? Evaluate and respond to the promptings of the Spirit. See, you can't do the second part of this command to love one another if you haven't done the first part of this command to believe in the name of Jesus. Believe comes first, then love. That's the order. But when it is in that order, when we are filled with confidence before God because of all that He's done in us and through us, 
we can find comfort and encouragement by what God is doing through us. When we are confident before God because of what God has done in us and to us, we can find real comfort. We can find hope and encouragement by what God is doing through us. One of the best ways to calm a condemning heart is to serve, to love one another, to allow God to use us in His mission, in His way. If you want to get comfort and encouragement from God, then love. Love and serve others. Give your life in His service. Offer your time, talents, and resources for God to use you. A believer who is in a transformational relationship with God overflows in their assurance of salvation, overflows in their confidence in what Jesus has done. It's not our actions that secure our salvation. It is our actions that show, that prove, that assure us that we are already saved. The last truth from our passage that helps us overcome a condemning heart is the communion we enjoy. Look again there at verse 24. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he's given to us. Abide. It's such a sweet and special word. It carries with it the idea of intimacy and closeness and unity. A relationship with God that is alive and healthy. A relationship with God that is intimate and close. A relationship with God that is obedient and worshipful is a relationship with God in which we abide in God and God abides in us. Jesus had such powerful words to say about this concept of abiding in many passages. In John 14, 21, he talks about it as home. He said, whenever... He says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. They said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home." With him. Think about that, what Jesus just said there. Just think about that. He said he's going to love us. He's going to disclose himself, manifest himself. He's going to reveal, he's going to show himself to us. And he and the Father are going to come to us and make their home. What an intimate word. What a powerful word. What comfort, what healing that brings to a believer's condemning heart. The verse ends there, verse 24, that we can know, we can know that we abide in God and that God abides in us because of the testimony of the Holy Spirit to us. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 8, verses 14 and 16. It says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. One of the great ways you can have assurance in your life is by the Spirit bearing witness with your spirit that you are a genuine follower of God. The very work of the Holy Spirit is to assure believers that we're part of God's family. When our hearts condemn us, the Spirit, the Comforter, the Helper, the Advocate 
testifies to our spirit and says, Yes, indeed, you are a son. Yes, indeed, you are a daughter of God. William Ralph Featherson was born on July 24, 1846 in Montreal, Canada. And he died in that same city just before his 27th birthday. Little else is known of his short life except for the fact that sometime during his 16th year of life, William put pen to paper to write a poem about love. The love he expressed was deep and true. The words of that poem have lasted well more than a century beyond Featherston's life and death. And guess what? Most everyone in this room knows this poem. The words of this poem about love, written by a 16-year-old, were published in 1873, three years after Featherston's passing. Adoniram Jordan put music to this poem about love and added it to a hymnal, which he published that same year. And the words of that poem go as follows. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee all the follies of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. Sixteen years old. I love thee because thou hast first loved me and purchased my pardon on Calvary's tree. I love thee for wearing the thorns on thy brow. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. Are those words written so long ago your words too? Do they resonate the truth of your heart? Can you say with full confidence before God, my Jesus, I love thee. I know, I know I know thou art mine. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the power of your word. It is amazing. It jumps right off the page, right into our lives. Our hearts often doubt and are uncertain and confused. And here you just give us so personal, so beautiful, the truth to help our condemning hearts. Lord, we pray that we will follow through on these truths. We would apply these truths and we would say with full confidence, each one of us in this room, my Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. If you can't say that sentence today, then please, please, now, talk to God about it. Deal with it. Come to him. In Jesus' name.